Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode, episode 75, we're discussing traveling with electronics through some listener questions. We get a couple of things that we're going to talk about there. Also, reasons to ride a motorcycle on an extended motorcycle trip, all that and more coming up. But before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who've really helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more. So here we go. Thank you very much to Angela Greer, Michael Desabri. Stephen Murata, William Garten, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Thank you all very much. Hey, you can get your uh, name on the shout out here as well by uh, supporting with $50 or more with it for Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. Um, drop on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent out to you, an Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you the shout out, as I just mentioned. And just in case Raw is a new discovery for you, we have another show that we do each week, our flagship show called Adventure Rider Radio. Drop on our website to see what's happening, adventureriderradio.com. Now, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for April 2022. What, to forget, yeah. forget the name? Oh, Jack. Oh, I get it. I so. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio deep in the boreal forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind completely raw, unscripted, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Sam Manicom in the UK. You must be neck deep in your preparations for your tour coming up this year. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um... Um, tonight I'm neck deep in rain. Actually, it's it's hissing down, but we have been away over Easter, and the weather was absolutely gorgeous. So, but um, as far as prep is concerned, yeah, it's um, it's hotting up. But I've got quite a few things going on during the summer here first. So, um, yeah, busy getting into all of that lot too. It's um, it's pretty hectic time. Um, there ain't much time for messing around. But that's great, right? I mean, that, that's fantastic. Oh, this this getting back to somewhat some sort of normal is is just so exciting. Oh, absolutely it is. And um, some sort of normal is is um, the right way of putting it because, of course, there are a whole new layer of things that have to be learned and dealt with and organized and all the rest of it. But, hey, um, if everything remained the same, what would we be saying? Um, how great it is. I'm, I'm not following you on this one. <laughs> Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are in Australia. Good morning, Brian and Shirley. Good morning, good, good morning, morning. Good morning. How's everyone? Good. And you know Sam's biggest problem? He's not matched. Yay. We're, all, matched we're all out of the habit of leading a full life. You're but we're so getting right. into the I'm swing so of it un- here. I'm so unfit in all sorts of different ways, Shirley. It's terrible. Yeah. But we're good down here, down under. What do you mean you're good? Well, we're just good, you know. Yay. We're not bad. We're good. We're happy. We're Healthy-ish, we're um, busy, awake, busy, busy. we're busy, lots traveling. Good. Well, that sounds fantastic. And and uh, Brian, are there any new bikes in the garage? Oh, don't uh. mention bikes! <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be impossible to get through this without mentioning bikes. Well, well, the, the, <laughs> yeah, well, hang on, Shirley. You <laughs> thought we were going to get through this episode <laughs> of Adventure Rider Radio Rob without mentioning bikes? <laughs> <laughs> Going to be Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a few wounded soldiers, mate. That's the problem at the moment. They're all wounded. Oh, oh my, I see. 
uh, yeah, Big Red's still a little bit uh, tricky playing up. Electricery is uh, a bit of a problem. I, um, an earth wire sort of melted um, halfway back from Canberra the other day and left me stranded, so mm. I wasn't too happy about it. Sounds but, like somebody didn't uh, route the wiring properly when, on the reassembly. Yeah. Well, it sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, me, but yeah, yeah. that's probably right. And uh, I've got another one with an alternator down, and uh, but I always find something to ride. So I took uh, what I call the blunt instrument, the, the Kawasaki GTR for a uh, 1,200-kilometre trot just to test it out and do a little story and, yeah, had a bit of fun with that. Very nice. So, and trouble is I find that the, the side stand grounds pretty hard and the panniers get pretty <laughs> the ground when you go around corners. It's well, a, maybe it's a big maybe you're leaning over too far, Brian. That that could be it. <laughs> you know, you and Jay Leno, yeah, I, I feel sorry it. for both of you k- taking care of all those motorcycles. It's just, a, it's a task, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, not in the same. Like, I, although, hang on, did I tell you, my 750 Honda won the mo- uh, p- uh, People's Most cho- Popular Choice Award at a, at a motorcycle show. Wow. Um, the 750 nice. Honda that we I did up uh, sort of trying to get it back to original condition. So I was pretty pleased with that. Wow, that's Too impressive. Right. Uh, let, let's bring in Michelle Lamphere in the in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And you're also probably getting ready for a, a busy season at uh, the Chateau. 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 I'm getting my <laughs> L and the T. Chalet Motel is what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I hope this is a sign I, I of things to come. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> I can translate. No problem. Translate. <laughs> yeah. I've just got this um, image of chalets on steroids. <laughs> there we go. Turning into little, they turn into little, chateaus. little chateaus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Very nice. Well, hi, everybody. I'm doing well. Thank you, Jim. I don't have uh, bikes out of storage yet. So my goal of riding my bike every month has uh, only happened <laughs> one month so far this year. Oh. Um, so yeah, it's time to get them out and dust it off and, and get ready for riding season as well as working season. So yeah, things are good here. Is that the, the reason you haven't got out every month? Is that because of the weather or just you didn't manage to pull it together? No, it's, it's the weather. We've had a lot of, um, really kind of bitter cold and a lot of ice. It's more so the ice around here. That's a problem. Um, I can ride out on forest trails and get to some gravel, pretty easily, but we've, we've had a lot of ice this winter. So mm. now that's kind of finally melting enough and clearing up. It's, it's definitely uh, dry enough and, and have lots of miles of road to be covered and they're ready to go. So as soon as I get my bike out, I should be on some. Snow does funny things to, uh, to motorcycles. There's no doubt about it. Uh, let's, br- let's bring in Grant Johnson in British Columbia, Canada, and, and another person that's probably gearing up like crazy. And the reason I'm saying this is because this feeling of, I have this feeling anyway, that we're sort of coming out of COVID, we're somehow breaking free. Um, and, and I know you have a bunch of, uh, of uh, meets set up already, probably more happening now, Grant. Oh, yes. We've got, uh, we just had California, it was last weekend, but... We're just busy, busy getting everything going. California event, everybody was just saying, wow, it's so good to get out and see friends and sit around and talk to people and talk motorcycles and talk travel and just get out and go. The the uh, energy was just huge. Everybody was just absolutely tickled pink to get out there and go. 
Well, that's good to hear. I, I thought what would happen now with being that it's, I think it's been two years now since you've had any number of, of meets. Now, I thought you, what you'd have to do is introduce a new program where you teach people to come out of their shell after being you know, <laughs> closed up in their homes for, for, for two years. Like, like turtles. Yeah, no, exactly. I think everybody's just kind of exploded out the door. They're just pent up, just dying to go. Cabin fever. They just, just get there like and they me. just blah, 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 nonstop. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's fantastic. Everybody had a blast. So, and of course I got one of my bikes is completely dismantled. Well, I shouldn't say that the front wheel's still on it and the motor's still on the frame, but that's it. There's no back end. There's no top end. It's all stripped down. I got to have that running in the next few weeks. The 1200 needs a little bit of work to get it organized, new tires and a bunch of other stuff. I've got some busy times ahead, but we're getting, main thing is we're just getting all the events organized, uh, Oh, lots happening. Fantastic. Why would you choose to take your bike apart at this time of year? I took it apart a couple of months ago. Oh. No comments, please, about the length of time it was taken. I, I think I can relate totally to that working on, on the deadlines thing. <laughs> yeah, there's just so many other things. Yeah. Well, I have, like, I had uh, emails from Newfoundland is coming in, like, 10 or 15 a day about how to make sure they were organized because this is their first one. So it's a real learning curve for them. Uh, Romania is desperate to get their registration open, but so is Virginia. And Can West is happy. We've got to get that organized. Um, to hum, I've got to re-ride the entire area because the area that I had been riding for the last three years to get it organized for the 2020 event and then the 21 event and then the 22 event, and then the rains and the floods happened. And guess what? Two of the major roads that you use to access the entire riding area are washed out. Mm. Gone. There's no access. You can't get in there. So guess what? I've got to ride a whole new area and completely put out another 100 tags. These, these are um, roads that are, are not main roads, I assume. There's no plan to fix no. them. No, well, they will fix them because they are main roads, but it's going to take a long time because the they're, they're less important roads. They're fire yeah. access roads and logging roads. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a while. And it's steep, mountainous countryside. So it's a big deal to fix these roads. So, I don't feel sorry for you having to rewrite it. I mean, that doesn't sound like a chore to me. Of course it is. It's a huge chore. I mean, I've got to get out every morning. i got to get up and put my riding gear on. And i got to get out there. Oh, and i got to put all these geez. tags out. It's, it's going to be rough. Yeah, life's, life's really got to do it, You know. <laughs> No, I'm looking forward to it, but still, it would have been nice to have had it done <laughs> along yeah. with everything else I got to do. But no, I'm, so I'm keeping busy and, um, kind of having fun. So that's, that's all good. Yeah, and when I get great. a chance to work on the bike, that's good too. Yeah. You're going to have to make time for that to get that thing together for your ride to check out these new, new trails. Yeah. Yep. We're going to start off with two listener questions. And then we'll end up talking about something else, which should be a lot of fun. I'm going to wait for a little bit later to, to talk about that. But uh, our, our first question is from Rupert McTavish. And the subject is traveling with electronics. This is, this is good because well, when I read this to you, you know, I mean, you guys have read it already. But when I read this, it, it's, um, it, it sounds like a lot. But boy, isn't everyone carrying a lot of electronics now? I mean, I mean, everyone realizes this. Anyone who's um, maybe over the age of 30 has seen, seen the transition from uh, people carrying the odd camera to everyone having a camera with them. But it's surprising. Everyone carries a phone with them, at least, absolute least one phone with them. But we've got so many other gadgets. I mean, how many of us, Brian, how many, how many electronic gadgets do you take with you when you go for a ride? 
Uh, well, I was going to say Cheryl, but that's it. But no, um, <laughs> his name is. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say delicate things. I said electronic things. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Um, look, uh, phone. Um, uh, last trip, I took two cameras um, because I needed a good SLR and a little pocket one. Um, that's it. Right. Well, when we travel, we'll take a computer. And we always have the um, the GPS. Well, that's mounted on the bike. Yeah. That doesn't, but that's a communication. That's still another elec- yeah, electronic thing. Yeah. 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 A sound of communication between each other. Um, but, you know, a charge off off the bike too. So, really, that, 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 that's that's a handful. That's nothing, really, I think. Yeah. Well, that, um, well that's f- well, five or six things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it I is. suppose. But on our first trip, I remember we went and bought um, a computer to go away and we rocked up on the bike and the girl said, oh, do you want a case with that? Do you want this with that? No, 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 no. Just just whack it in this styrofoam. Uh, what, no, we it? wrapped it up Fro- in a beach towel. Oh, we did too. Wrap- she was horrified. She said, but you're going around the world. I went, yep, and that's She's the right. way it's going to travel, wrapped up in a beach towel, and it survived. Ah, well, there's a good tip. Well, let's get to that. Let, let, me, let me read what Rupert McTavish wrote. Um, I'm riding across Australia at the moment and one's wondering about all the electronic stuff that seems to sneak into my panniers. Now, I want to read this because it's the list that I think is, is kind of amusing. Uh, cameras, about three, not including the phone. iPad, an iPhone. Helmet Senna thingy. Garmin communication <laughs> duty. I'm reading this right in the email. Uh, yes, a drone, uh, a drone, a, a Garmin watch, which uh, tells me to walk more steps, you fat bugger, unquote. I should have quoted that. <laughs> a handy charging setup, a handy charging setup, which might, which might be slightly illegal, according to an electrician mate. I'm not sure what that is. And I previously carried a somewhat expensive Dell laptop around the world, uh, but, it's, uh, but have left it at home for now. Any chance you could discuss how everyone here look after their stuff when they're out? Currently, it's about 37 degrees Celsius. What, can somebody do the conversion, 37 Celsius? Uh, double it and add 30. Yeah, so like 100 degrees. Okay. Okay. Over 100, yeah, around so, 100. Yeah, 100. Warm, warm, definitely warm. Dust, yes, corrugated roads, stupid aluminum, sorry, stupid black aluminum panniers, <laughs> humidity, freezing nighttime temperatures, and don't get me started about the rain. And also, and your podcasts are truly the best. I love that little comment, Rupert. Thank you very much for that. Okay, so so we're talking about like traveling with electronics and the ways that you protect these things. Surely, I think it's interesting. You just said that you you want to you guys went around the world with a camera wrapped in a towel. What, what do you guys think we should do? Should we break this down in, into photography and other electronics? Does does anyone have a school of thought here? Well, it was our laptop that was wrapped up in a towel, and the camera lives on Brian's hip. Mm. Um, hip? when we've only got the little one, but we, went, we, we went through a few though, didn't we? we cameras, did we, we um, because surely you take photos off the back of the bike, and those uh little um cameras with the telephoto lens, you can't put a cap over the end of them like a um lens protector, a, a lens protector. so it, you know that it'd get pitted or hit with sand or whatever, so the lens would get all yucky, so uh, we'd end up throwing away and getting another one. But, um, yeah, um, the, really, that's um, about it, isn't it? Mm. The, the, the camera and the laptop. Uh, look, I gave up wearing a watch. Who cares about a watch when you're travelling? You know, you've got a 
clock on the dash of your bike, nine times out of ten anyway. So I'd be scrapping that to start with. And Rupert, take a grip, mate. You're on a motorbike trip. You may get fat and you may be a fat bugger. It's okay. (laughs) It's fine, mate. It's fine. I I don't think his doctor would say that. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay. His doctor might not He's recommend happy. motorcycles either. <laughs> exactly. Hey, right. let's let's first talk about the, the actual number of things here because this is a lot of things, including the drone. I mean, this is a lot to carry, a lot of electronics, and we're talking about a motorcycle trip and all these electronics. Sam, um, the, what about you? What, what, what sort of list do you have of electronics that you're carrying with you? Well, the only experience we have with drone is me talking too much, according to Birgit. <laughs> it's drone on, not, not quite yeah. a drone. Yeah. yeah. Um, we carry two cameras, an SLR and a little point and shoot. But actually, I think in the future, we'll just carry an SLR and um, a phone because, well, I actually don't need any more than that. I want to take photographs that are good enough to, to go in magazines and I want to be able to catch those um, quick grab em shots, the ones that if you take too long setting the camera up, you'll miss it. Um when we're traveling, we don't carry an iPad uh, or anything else like that. We do um, use Intercom. Um, we tend to use our phones for navigation. Um, a drone, no. Um, it's, I mean, part of the problem for me was the more electronic gear I'm carrying, and I've I've carried you know other stuff as well. You know, I've carried uh, you know a camera for um, filming and uh, you know attached to the bike and so on. But I end up with all of this stuff and I spend all of my time trying to take photos or catch footage or whatever else it is. And I actually forget the reason that I'm out there. Um, there was one day and all I could remember was the, the times that I'd been trying to get a shot and the number of times that I thought I'd pressed on on the, the movie camera and I hadn't. And so all I'd done was take a photo. Been there, done that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I just, this is nuts. I'm spending all of my time chasing electronics and uh, where's the journey gone? And so we just cut way that back. That is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not to mention all the wires and, and plugins you have. No, I mean, you're right, Jim. I mean, the, it's all of the wires and everything else. Oh, yeah. A friend of mine um, went around the world and he said um, his whole pannier was full of IT equipment and cables. And oh, I'd rather have that with a bottle of scotch and, you know, spare in a tube or puncture repair kit or whatever else it might be. Um, but, I mean, but you've got to add in all of this with um, spare batteries because you've got to carry spare batteries, haven't you? And in all of the rest of it, it's quite simply, the less gear you have, the less cables. But there are um, tricks with that. For example, I was talking about this with a friend at the weekend and he's um, round the world traveller and he's a great believer in um, DIN sockets rather than USBs. Um, so BMWs come with um, DIN sockets, but a lot of it comes down to checking to see when you're hunting for one. It's basically a male and female, for those who don't know what a DIN socket is. Um, so it's a male and female. But the trick with these is to find one where there's a good distance between the male and the female. And the connection is made by a protuberance on the, on the inside of the female. So in other words, what you're looking for is, is there enough for a bit of moisture to get down in there, i.e. a 
good size drop of rain and for it not to be shorting the circuit out. So you have to hunt because there are lots of around that don't have that sort of breathing space, as it were. But what he does, and oh, I'm totally impressed with this, he's got his din socket on the handlebars and then he's got a cable that goes through to his tank bag and he's got a, a multiple socket connector, so it's got five USBs on it. And they're all, this is a fast-charged setup. And he said everything he needs just goes in his tank bag. Now, I carry other things in my tank bag, but for him, that just works really nicely. And his camera goes in there too. And he carries that in um, a 2.5 millimeter um, aluminium um, flip-top box. So in other words, if he comes off on the bike, then there's a good chance that the camera is going to be protected and it's padded inside. This is a homemade thing, just using you know um, aluminium uh, from the local DIY shop and some aluminium angle iron and he's knocked this thing together and he's put some foam inside and off he goes. And I'm really impressed with that. I used to carry my um, SLR in my tank bag because, of course, it was easy to get out. And how many times do you see this drop-dead gorgeous site, scenery, or um, a view in a market or something like that, and you just want to be able to reach down, zip, grab the camera, bang, take the photo. Um, so all he's added into that is a, a flip of an aluminium lid. And I didn't use that, and I did turn my bike upside down, and I did squash my camera. Mm. Um, and I made the mistake then of carrying my camera in uh, one of my tank panniers, and of course, that was the, um, I know I've told you this story, but I've got to tell you again. That was the day that last thing when we were packing up, I had not put the candle that we use inside the tent. It was cold. So the candle gives us light as well as warmth. I know there are people going, well, no way, you can't do this, but we do. Um, and <laughs> I stuffed it in the tank pannier um, at the last minute. And that was the day the stitching on the tank pannier rotted and the candle melted through the canvas of the tank pannier. And actually, the cylinder set fire to this thing. So I incinerated my camera. <laughs> hang, on, hang on. You, you put a lit candle <laughs> in your pack? No, not a lit no. one. Just the heat from the cylinder, oh, Jim. I see. Okay. <laughs> well, you said the candle yeah. and you said it melted. I thought, wait a second. Is this a thing like he's cleaned up so fast? He threw the lit candle in and I don't know how that could possibly work. But, <laughs> Jim, but, as if I would. Come on. I know I'm dotty from time to time, but not that mad. But, but, anyways, no, but that, seriously. The, the thing you're the, describing there for the for the power, I had the same setup when I used to have a tank bag. I, I no longer have one. But remember Graham Field was telling us about his aluminum one. Remember, he, he went mm -hmm. through, he made a whole aluminum thing, which is kind of what you're describing there is, is a, a whole aluminum uh, box that, that basically sat on, like in, in where you put your, your tank bag. It was his tank yeah, bag. Yeah, I mean, this, this was a, a huge thing, wasn't it? It was way bigger yeah. than your normal tank, um, tank bag. Um, but it fitted what Graham wanted because he'd got quite a few long lenses and things like that. Well, it worked for him, And yeah. so he wanted to protect all of those. Yeah. But, um, I mean, something else that I used to use was I had a, a top box for mm -hmm. a while. And um, it was it was nicknamed the pizza box because it was uh, low and wide. And uh, the lid on this had a, a solar panel on it. And that just led down inside to um, USB charging points. And that was really a handy bit of equipment, um, in part because if we were parked up and not riding anywhere for two or three days, we could still be charging our kit off of that. Does you, does I've, you, I've, oh, I see. If you're, when you're parked, yeah, okay. Yeah, I get it. 
Oh, you Sorry. can use it when you're riding too. Well, uh, it doesn't make uh, much sense when you're riding, unless you have a bike that has no. really, really low output. I've, I've never really understood this much of uh, this carrying, the idea of wanting to carry a solar pack with your motorcycle. You've got a charging system right there. You're using the fuel. You won't notice the difference in fuel from it charging anything else. And it's reliable. You don't have to worry it's, about it. Depends on the bike, though, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it if you get an older on, bike, on the charging ability of the bike. Yeah, sure. that's right, an older bike, and um, you are challenged a little bit more. I've got to say, Sam, I'm a little concerned about uh, aluminium um, boxes inside tank bags having um, come off and taken off a tank bag with um, below my belt line, and. Um, when the doctors actually lifted up uh, the, the sheet to have a look at my nether regions, they've all gone, oh, mate, that must hurt. So, <laughs> <laughs> You're not I supposed to say that. If I was going to do this, the first thing I'd do was put a shed load of padding on it. I don't do well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then he brought it on the other bloody doctors to have a look. I'll tell you what, uh, mate, uh, seriously, I, I wouldn't be putting anything like aluminium in front of a tank bag. I think that the, 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 the um, aluminium box that he showed me was literally the size of his camera. So he could li- he could just fit the SLR in, um, no additional lenses or anything else like that, SLR and some padding. So it was actually quite small. Um, but um, yeah, no, I absolutely get you. No, it's you, right. It doesn't. You definitely want to think of those things. And same as when, Shirley, when you said that Brian has the camera on his hip, that's what ran into my mind immediately when you said it. I thought, boy, if you have a get off, that, that's a spot that's for impact right there. You know, you, you yeah, can end up yeah. with an injury. And then when Brian said they died, I thought he was going to say he crushed them. No, no, no. No, they just died a natural death of overuse on the back of a bike trying to take photos doing 60, 80 plus kilometers an hour. But, um, yeah, we've come off with the camera oh, on did, the hip and it's never hurt him, funnily enough, or the camera. But, yeah. um, you know, I guess if you're going to come off that hard, having a camera on your hip or just your hip, it's not going to make a lot of difference. They're only little um, point-and-shoot cameras in a little pouch on his belt. Yeah, they probably could get them out with tweezers or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a, a belt. Uh, I actually uh, put belt loops on my bike pants, so I wear a, uh, a leather belt, and uh, they slip through that, and they can slide one way or another a little bit. So, um, mm. yeah, I know it's not perfect, but um, it's one it's easier for sure to get at, and easy for me to get at. Um, yeah, so yeah, maybe it's not perfect. No, I, I, don't, I don't think, just think anything just is. Hit a nail on the head, though, didn't you? Because um, very, very little is going to be perfect. What matters is that you work out what equipment you actually need to do and you work out the way that suits you to carry it so that you've got the chance to use it easily without too much fuss and bother. Yeah. That's yeah. what matters, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's right. Exactly. 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 Say it again, Grant. That's yeah, that's right. And that's keep, right, Sam. Keep it simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, hey, let's let, let, like to get it's this fast. thing sort, sorted out as far as um, get, getting some information into this. Let's just do a round with um, let's talk about photography stuff and what each one of you are doing when you're traveling. Because I think just about everybody has something to take photographs with. So just say what it is and, and what you do to protect it and, and, you know, what you think you're getting from it as you're riding. Grant, wh- why don't we start with you? Well, I keep it really, really simple now. I just use a phone. I've got an iPhone 6S. Nobody laugh. And it's a 6S Plus, which is the bigger version. Um, it's ancient, but it works perfectly. And it's invulnerable to this issue that the new iPhones have with vibration on the bike. Having said that, I carry it in my jacket at all times. And there's two reasons for that. One is protect it. 
And two, if I'm off and lying in the bushes somewhere, and who knows where my bike is, maybe down the cliff, I've got my phone on me. Same thing goes with my Garmin InReach Mini that I always have. It's attached to me, not to the bike. I think that's that's a big safety thing. But the, the phone does all the photographs that I need currently. And if I was trying to photograph for, um, for a magazine, I might have an SLR, one of the new um, mirrorless SLRs. I think that'd be a great way to go. But you only need one with a couple or three lenses, and that's it. I'm looking at him saying, three cameras. Even when I was a pro and working all the time, I used two cameras and that was enough. I can't comprehend three. It's just too much, too much stuff. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering whether one of those was something like a GoPro that he was talking about. Could be. I, well, I mean, it, could be. yeah. I mean, for, for filming, people are using all kinds. I mean, things have changed, right? I mean, you know, it, oh. it, like even us saying, you know, that that seems like a lot of gear. People are out there doing this. They they tend to want to have a lot of gear. I mean, you know, and I'm a bit of a gear geek as well. I, you know, I, I like all those, those little things. I don't have quite the, anything like that, but it's fun. You know, it's it's fun to have it. And if, if it's what you like, that's great. So, I mean, we're really what we're talking about is what we're how we protect it. How how do we how do we actually take it and have it survive through well, the through GoPro experience? survives just by being out in the open and you've got it in a case and it does fine. I've got one GoPro which I use for filming for all the stuff I'm doing for the events and things. And it survives just fine. And I've crashed with it and I've landed on it and it's fine. I don't carry it on my hip because I think that at my age, especially us older guys are getting more vulnerable in the hip region and breaking your hip. They say that the next thing that happens to you after you break your hip is you die. Mm. So I'll pass on that. Thank you. I'm going to be much more careful with it. Um, But having said that, I think a camera and a GoPro I know guys that carry three GoPros, but oh, yeah. you know, if you're trying to make a living off it or you're really, really into it, okay, fine. But make sure that you have really worked out in your mind that you need this many cameras. Don't carry too many. It's just keep it simple is all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, no, and, and I've got a GoPro as well, and, and and I've used it a lot to to fill up a lot of memory cards and a lot of space on a hard drive that I'll never ever use for anything else. It's been absolutely great to have. No one will ever see the video <laughs> shot. It's really funny you should say that because just, just this That's... last week um, I was going through clearing out stuff from the memory on my computer, and I found all this footage, and I was thinking, Jeepers, I don't remember that bit of gravel. <laughs> The camera must have yeah. slipped. It's taken a lot of photographs of gravel here. Yeah. No view. Like four, 40 minutes of gravel is. going by. <laughs> yeah. We, I can't, um, we, have, we have lots of footage of me going, is it filming? Do you think? Is it recording? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You me too. <laughs> you know, lots of pictures of me looking at it, trying to see if, is this <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And the distorted view, right? The wide angle lens. <laughs> Sam, how about yeah. you? So, so what are you carrying for, for photography stuff and how are you protecting it? I carry an SLR, uh, which I have a reinforced foam container that it sits in, in my tank bag. And I have my phone, my iPhone 6 grant, so you're one up on me. I've, I don't often use GPS if I'm, so yeah, that's an if button maybe. Well, we're just I talking cameras. Intercom. Okay, cameras, just, just photography. Just my phone and an SLR. SLR. You said in a box, what do you have the SLR in? The SLR, um, I've created using heavy duty foam. Um, a sort of reinforced container that it slots down into and that keeps it dry, dust-free and, um, yeah, potentially some, some, 
if I were to land on it, then there's a chance that it would be reasonably protected, but it's not going to take the full force of the bike. Is it waterproof? Yes, it is. Okay, so it's waterproof. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I should mention that uh, I when we were traveling around the world, we had a um, aluminum top box on top of the tank. Uh, top box, when I was saying tank bag, an aluminum tank bag with a flip-top lid. And that was back in 97. And it worked great, but I had a very steep angle on the back side of it so that if anything happened, I would tend to slide up it rather than into it. But I mean, there's all different things you could uh, you could look at. I mean, you know, you could say a tank bag could catch you, you know, going over the bike. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a real wild card. It's um, it's, yeah. it's tough. I, I mean, don't even use I don't use a tank bag anymore, except on my dirt bike, and I have a nano tank bag, which is three and a half inches wide by about two inches high by six inches long, and that's it. Just for breath mints and sunglasses, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. just the absolute minimum. I, my phone lives in there, and that's kind of it. Right. How about you, Michelle? What, what are you carrying for photography and, and what are you doing to protect it? Well, what I'm doing now is is definitely different than what I was doing a few years ago when I was traveling in South America. I know at that time when I read uh, the uh, message from Rupert, I thought, you know, except for the drone, I was pretty much carrying the same thing. I had three cameras at the time. So I had a DSLR, I had a point and shoot, and I had a GoPro. So I was counting my third camera as my GoPro. And then I had an iPhone separately. Um, so I, I kind of had all of that, but anymore, I now have a newer version of an iPhone. And when I went to Pakistan last fall, I only took the iPhone and a point and shoot. Um, the reason I take a point and shoot, or I guess I shouldn't say the reason, but I, it's just a habit that I've developed. I wear it on a lanyard around my neck. Um, and then I tuck it inside my jacket pocket. And as I'm writing, which this, this is really not good, sometimes the advice that I give is probably more of a cautionary tale scenario of what not to do. <laughs> so let me just say that. But but I will, as I'm riding along, um, slip out my point and shoot camera while I'm riding and then point off to the side, you know, if I don't have time to stop or if I'm, you know, just humming down a road or whatever, but I want to grab a shot of something, I'll, I'll actually turn my camera on. I can manipulate it with one hand and um, grab a, a picture of something or a valley or, you know, someone I'm riding by or something as I go by. So I do grab shots that way. Um, but having said that, when I was in South America, I actually had to buy, I think I went through on the two-year trip, I went through four point-and-shoot cameras on that trip. Um, because of the, exactly the beating that they take, all of the dust, all of the humidity, um, it's really hard, not just on the lenses pitting, but also the mechanics of it. In fact, I had uh, one of my point and shoots had a, a telephoto zoom lens, so the zoom would actually expand and, and extend out from the camera two or three inches. And I was somewhere, I'm trying to remember, I think it was in Peru, and I went to retract it. Um, after taking a photo to turn the camera off and stick it inside my jacket. This is while I was riding down the road. But the retractor motor only retracted one side of the lens, so it curved. <laughs> the lens actually it looked like I could take photos around the corner of a building because it just curved to the right, and then it wouldn't retract, and the camera wouldn't close. So, um, yeah, the, the motor itself was just full of grit and dust. And so cameras, having said that, obviously take just a real beating. The one that, you know, I always wore in a jacket pocket was exposed to tons more dust, cold weather, um, humidity, things like that. But my DSLR was almost always stored in a dry bag. 
um, in my gear bag on the back of my bike. So it wasn't kept in my tank bag. I tried that for a while, but I found I just wasn't really using it. Um, and I, I was concerned as I was pulling over at, you know, gas stops and things about having it so handy on my tank bag. So I just tucked it away, um, kind of padded it with clothing and a sleeping bag and, and kind of kept it protected. Um, but yeah, it wasn't the most convenient to carry uh, camera to carry all of the time. It's it's interesting. You're basically saying that the cameras were kind of disposable. You, you just use them until they die. And yeah. Then you, you, I mean, <laughs> what else are you supposed to do? I mean, because stuffing in your pocket, one of the problems with stuffing in your pocket is that it's not just that you're protecting it from the dirt from the outside. Often we get dirt in our pockets. That's yeah. where the damage happens. The dirt yeah. is flopping around inside there with the camera as it moves back and forth and it jams. And I've, I've had the same thing as you, Michelle, with the retractable lens just jamming up with dirt. I think it's probably a fairly common one with mm. them by putting them in your pocket, you know, with, with sand yeah. in your pocket. And this is actually a top tip for, um, for listeners, isn't it? If you're looking to get a small camera, get one that has a, a lens cover and doesn't have a yeah. retractable on it. Well, yeah, and that, or I, I tell you something that I think is even better than that is have a pouch for it. Even though it's going in your pocket, because you can't really clean mm. your pockets out. So the best thing is if you have a little pouch that you can get for it, um, something that it can go in and close, even if it doesn't seal up, it, you would have a better chance of keeping it clean in your pocket using that. You can take it out, you can shake it out, you can clean it, you can wash it and do all those sorts of things. Better than just dumping that camera into your pocket. Right, I would agree. Well, that's um, interesting. So, um, O'Brien and Shirley, over to you guys. Um, photography, and what did you use? I know you told us a little bit. Well, we always take the um, point and shoot. Being two up on one bike, taking a, an SLR is a bit tricky when we're both on the bike. But we did. We have had a GoPro, and um, like Sam, we have got hour upon hour of absolutely mind-numbingly boring footage that no one will ever see. And um, we've got lots of shots of me asking whether it's recording. But we travelled for six months with a, a mount that I could shoot using the GoPro while we were riding. And on the last second last day of our trip as we were riding into Vladivostok, I said to Brian, stop the bike. I've got to get this wretched mount out and at least use it once. <laughs> so um, the other thing I think you should think about is not only how to store your camera gear, but will you actually use it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, will you actually edit it? That's yeah. that's well, the key that's, right there because the I can use it. No problem. My problem is getting that video. There's tons of video. That's most oh. of it's garbage. Ninety nine percent of it is to actually edit it. No, it just takes every, up space. Every hour yeah. of uh, video uh, that you shoot is two hours to edit. Oh yeah, think about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I yeah, um, want to do it. One, one good thing that we took was a, a small uh, tripod. Remember that little small yeah. tripod that you could use? You could set it up and take photos of each other or, you know, with have it really legs. with flexi legs. So it, mm. and it, it's very small, not, not much longer than a pin. Um, and that was pretty handy um, if you were setting up night shots and you needed more exposure and things like that. Um, but I've got a mate who's um, just about to head off on his round Australia trip that he's been planning for. Oh, over a year. Um, and he's, uh, sure, he's doing things on a, a semi-professional level and posting and all that, that sort of stuff. But um, he hasn't made it out of our small state with all the electronic gear that he's carrying, which includes a drone, um, and he's blown the fork seals on his bike, hasn't he? 
because of all the damn weight he's carrying. <laughs> all the extra <laughs> bits. <laughs> well, you know, all right, he's carrying camping gear and all the rest of it, and he's going away for a year, but, you know, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I swear his bike packed, and I, I said, mate, that's a lot of gear. You really don't need that much. Anyway, it's curious that everyone uh, who's talked about their cameras, no one has really said anything about uh, like buying a Pelican case or something like that. And those are those plastic, very durable cases that you can do. That's really interesting you're saying that because I've got that here on my list, Jim. Oh, because you mentioned you have a a a waterproof case. Michelle, you mentioned you had your DSLR in a, in a dry bag. Mm -hmm. So, you know, great solutions, but, but nobody's had that actual, that proper kit for photography, which is, you know, often the scene as with the pros is, is the Pelican case, right? It seems to be ubiquitous in the professional realm for photography. They go into a, this is a heavy duty plastic box. If you don't know what a Pelican case is, and it's got a foam inside that you cut out to fit every part. Now, the thing is with your, with your photography stuff is that the trick with uh, the wear and tear on things is it bouncing around is to have something on the camera that doesn't move, that the movement is between whatever else it, that you have on the camera and the bag or, or whatever it's sitting in. And that's what the, the Pelican case does really well. On top of that, the Pelican case is, is waterproof. So, um, you know, that, that can mean, a, 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 um, well, that can mean, you know, the, the survival or not of your camera gear. But I think it, for most people who are really into photography, they're going to stumble across this stuff. But what you guys are will, saying is that is that you don't even need it. Is, is what I'm saying. No, you, you don't, and it's a it's a theft magnet. It's obviously you got something valuable in there. Yeah. So that's it's just yeah. it's going to disappear somehow or other. I don't care how well you got it bolted on. They'll take the whole bite just because there's this black pelican case on it, which screams lots of money and expensive, valuable stuff in here. Uh, there's no way I would use a pelican case on a bike I was traveling on. Too obvious. Mm-hmm. I think a lot depends on what sort of trip you are actually wanting to do. If, if you're planning around the world trip and you're going to be going into developing world countries and other places where you're going to start, leave your bike standing unattended and that sort of stuff, um, you're absolutely spot on, Grant. But I know people who, for example, in the United States, they spend a year and a half um, meandering around the United States uh, with a Pelican um, case and their camera equipment in and they're just taking drop-dead gorgeous photos and it and it's worth it to them. Um, some of the guys have adapted their cases so that uh, USB charging cables go into them. Um, there's a lot of debate about whether um, on the back of the bike is the best place to carry them because, of course, um, the back end of the bike is the part of the bike that tends to bounce um, the most. So you're going to get a lot more vibration back there. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying what I've been told. I don't know this for sure. But one of the guys that I met um, had his on his pillion seat. And um, he had his disguise just in um, a zip top um, sort of uh, canvasy type bag. So that would just, just disguise the fact that it was a Pelican case. He also had quick release on it. So although it was very firmly fixed with a push of a button, which he developed himself, um, he could just unclip the, the bag and um, the Pelican case and off he'd go. Um, so, you know, there are ways of doing it. But, um, oh, yeah, you know, if I was a professional photographer and I was totally reliant on my camera gear, I'm, I might be tempted um, to do that. But, yeah, absolutely disguise it. There is something that um, we tend to do and I, I did forget on a, uh, on a trip. You know, the silica gel sachets that you get when you buy camera equipment or clothes or um, all sorts of equipment come in these with these little silica gel um, 
sachets. It's worth keeping those and tucking them in whatever bag you're carrying your camera. Um, because if if you're traveling in a hot um, country where you're going in and out of air conditioning, for example, um, your camera is going to suffer. More on that in a minute. But if you're traveling in um, humid countries, then your camera is going to suffer too. And it's well worth having those in there because they do soak up. And the first chance that you get if you're in cold countries, um, stick them on a radiator to dry out. If you're in a hotter country, stick it on the roof and some sunshine, wh- whatever. But that can can draw quite a bit of um, condensation. I actually trashed our um, Canon SLR by forgetting this. Um, and I did a trip in southern USA. And there were some days where it was just so hot, I couldn't handle camping anymore. And so I was into um, motels. And the air conditioning was blasting away. And I didn't even think about it. But this poor camera going between hot and cold, hot and cold all of the time, the condensation inside of it must have sucked. Anyway, it got to the camera and killed it. Um, if only I'd remembered to pack those sachets. Mm. And it's so different. They don't, they don't cost anything. These these are moisture absorbance packs that you're talking about. And, mm. and like you said, they're found in a lot of things. You can also buy them um, specifically mm-hmm. for this sort of thing. But um, they, they absorb a lot of moisture and definitely worth having in there. Mm. Yeah, something to think about on that with uh, GoPros. If you're traveling in uh, high humidity areas with GoPros, something that's been set out uh, particularly for diving, but I use it generally, is you can get little tiny pads that are desiccants that you put inside your GoPro housing. And that's just for exactly that purpose. And oh. it can help prevent uh, the condensation that you can get on the lens if you're really sweating and working hard in high humidity. I've had the lens completely fog up before I discovered these things. So this is a really thin strip that you're putting on the inside of the case. Yep. It's just nice. two little strips. So you can just squeeze in there. They're, I don't know, size of your finger for length and width and maybe a sixteenth of an inch thick. And that's mm-hmm. it. Just stick them in and they really work. But you do have to keep replacing. Yep, cool. And I traveled in in Central America with desiccant packs and a plastic bag, and put my laptop inside of the plastic bag with the desiccant packets, uh, cameras too, for that matter. At night, it really helped to kind of dry them out overnight. And I mean, when they're out and about and being used during the day, they're just getting hit with tons of humidity in that climate. So giving them, you know, an eight or ten hour break at night with desiccant. Um, packets to help pull the moisture out really helps extend the life of those electronics. Nice one. Now there's um there's cameras that you can get that are, are extreme use, rough duty, heavy duty cameras um, that, that are designed for rough use. Uh, you've probably seen them; they're advertised. So you can drop them; they'll go in water. Uh, which brings me to another thought process: is that there's um there's an IP rating that I think most of us are familiar with. It's an ingress protection rating that they use to tell how waterproof and uh, dustproof something is. So um, if you're looking for a camera and, and you, you want something that's going to be good, you know, in, in all sorts of environments, the, the higher the, the last digit, they'll have IP, you know, IPX something, let's say, IPX6 or IPX7, that, that's getting up into, into your more water protected um, gear. And probably if you're looking for something to, to go on a trip, if you, if you want to make sure this thing doesn't suffer from humidity or moisture getting inside it, uh, probably IPS, I, IPX6 and above is probably something you'd want to look at. Uh, I think um, IPX6 is uh, powerful water jets and and then it sort of goes up to immersion up to three feet and then beyond. But um, that's important to look at if you're, if you're looking to buy a camera to do that part. Unfortunately, you're going to pay for that extra ability to withstand the moisture. 
or you use Michelle's method and just keep buying new cameras. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> really? you know, like, and the thing is, they're not that expensive anymore. Well, well, we all carry phones too, and and Michelle has a newer iPhone. That like those phones are incredible. They, all these new phones yeah. now are incredible. The photos are amazing. They're able to do things w- with a, a tiny little lens that, that were just unthinkable before. So oh, I mean, yeah, if you the get definition. By, the high def, you know, photos and the video are such high quality anymore that they really are starting to rival some of those more expensive electronics. And what a way to slim down what you're packing if you can eliminate multiple electronic devices and kind of slim it up in just a couple of smaller ones like a GoPro and an iPhone. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, most people could do that easily, and and even image compression, they can do it now with these with these tiny little cameras. Yeah. You know, it's incredible. It looks like you're shooting with a long lens. It's amazing. Yeah. How much is one of those? Uh, I think a thousand dollars. Yeah, roughly. <laughs> which, which yeah. when I when I think of it, I mean, I spent more than that on a DSLR plus all of the different devices. So if it can serve, you know, the, the duty of several different pieces of equipment. It's worth that. Well, yeah. that's, that's a good point. I mean, that goes along with everyone always saying, you know, it has to have multiple uses. So that's, um, mm-hmm. that's probably a very good point. D- does anyone here carry a drone with them? Nope. No. Oh, no. No. The drone would the be a tough occurred to me. But. The, the drone's a tough one because it's it's got moving parts on it, et cetera. And the, you know, it's it's probably not going to be sealed. So it's going to have to be something that's in a some sort of waterproof container and also something that has some sort of impact resistance to it. But what I was thinking when I saw the drone thing, I was thinking, you know, the other thing that we were like I know we're not talking about this today, but with uh with drones. Every country has rules about drones and whether you have to be licensed and whether you have oh, to yeah. register it and where you can fly it. Yeah, I know. Surely you guys told the story about um, uh, people from your country who ended up in, in a little bit of trouble flying their drone where they shouldn't. So each country has the rules and, and it would be, it'd be interesting. I, I did a quick look before we, we started recording and I couldn't really find any information. But as a foreigner, what do you do taking a drone to another country? How do you register that? That's something you want to look into before you pull it out and fly it around and and then get tackled to the ground by some security force. For sure. Or get, you can actually or get shot on the internet. Uh, and there are some sites that will give you a map of the world and what the basic regulations are for drones. It's completely, it's never up to date, but it gives you a clue. And it's surprising where you can't do what and what altitudes and what size of drone. But the main thing, I think, for a drone, for most of us, is there's a, a really tiny one that's kind of the size of a phone by about three phones thick. Um, and they're pretty good and they will do the job and they're quite adequate for most fun type of stuff. And th- generally the authorities aren't too fussed about the little tiny ones. You get one of the big ones, big fold out arms and all the rest of it. You're starting to look like a pro or a spy, one or the other. And that's when it all gets really sticky. So I think you have to be really into doing it. And you have to decide, who is my audience? Am I trying to become the latest YouTube sensation or am I just doing a couple of videos for my friends? How far ahead am I going to go? I used to be a pro uh, making money off my photos, but I use a phone for 99.9% of my photographs now. And it's fine. It does Mm -hmm. all I need. Um, So, you know, you, be careful and think about what you're going to use it for and forget the, the uh, I don't know, theories of grandeur or something that you're going to be famous. Well, you're probably not. Do you really need all that much? 
keep it simple. It's easier. What, what we haven't talked about here was, um, was uh, heat and vibration. I mean, vibration is, is yeah, we've, we've sort of <laughs> talked about that, but, but what about heat? Does anyone have any tricks for dealing with heat for, for photography gear? White boxes, white boxes. White oh, that's boxes. true. Now, now, that's now, now that's Rupert it. says stupid black aluminum panniers. You can imagine that's recognized right off the bat. <laughs> that's a mistake yep. in Australia. Yep. Well, that's why my bike oh, yeah. is white and I had white panniers. I had an anodized white and that was done deliberately for exactly that reason. But past that, there's nothing you can do. And I know, I remember uh, we stopped and we're talking to a guy with some black saddlebags and he was looking at my white boxes and said, those are kind of ugly. Why do you got white boxes? And I opened up the lid and said, put your hand inside. Put his hand inside. Oh, that's quite cool. And we checked the same thing with his. Oh my goodness, that's hot. There's a huge difference in temperature. It was staggering. Mm-hmm. Well, something to think about. It's, a, it's really the other, the other thing. Yeah, the other thing traveling around Australia, if you're doing a lot of corrugated roads, aluminium pannier frames and all that sort of stuff, if you're scooting along at 80 k's um, going well across the um, the corrugations, um, they'll be very lucky if none of those pannier frames or pannier bags break, don't break. And that's why a lot of guys use soft bags if they're doing a lot of outback traveling for that very reason because it's yeah. just too heavy. And um, when you eventually hit a bit of bull dust and come off, which is inevitable out there, um, they um, the soft bags are a little bit more soft and pliable when you land. Now again, you have to decide what is it you're doing? What is it you're really going to do, soft bags or hard bags? There's the, it's a never-ending debate, like the oil debate. Um, yeah. And it's higher debate. Which, what are you doing and what is your plan and which is better? You know, I agree with you totally. If you're doing a lot of that kind of serious off-road soft bags, my dirt bike, which I carry camping gear and everything on, has got soft bags. My street pavement touring two-up bike has got hard bags because they work better for us. So, different yeah, strokes. Exactly the same. Yeah. One of the things, you know, I mentioned that I carry my camera in my tank bag for um, for ease of access. Um, when it's hot, I have um, a waterproof cover that's uh, really pale grey. And uh, the idea of that is that it reflects a lot of the heat away. I actually had a reflective silver cover that would go over my tank box. And that yeah, really I tried that, but it's, I, I just don't last. such a distraction. It's just constantly catching the sun and glaring up at me. And um, yeah, I... I'd stopped yeah. using that. Yeah, I ended up with just the white box and that was fine. I carried um, the cameras, well, two cameras and a couple of long lenses in the tank box and the rest of it was in the saddlebag. I didn't carry anything like that in the uh, top box at the back of the bike because as you were saying earlier, that's the place that gets flung around the most. Mm. And I've actually seen a top box eject off the back of a guy's bike and go right over his head and he almost rode over it. So you can imagine the amount of force that's on a box to make it do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep it as far forward and as low down as you can. Keep the vibration away from it. Um, our laptop, back in the 87, we had it sitting on about three quarters of an inch of vibration damping foam, which you can buy online. It's not a big deal to get. And it just sat on that for the entire trip. And it was fine. That was in the days before laptops were durable like they are now with floppy drives and all kinds of stuff that was anything but durable and it survived just dandy. So 
low and down and some semblance of vibration damping. It works great. And preferably no candles. <laughs> candles are a bad thing. I know of more than one bike that's been burned down. <laughs> Sides of the freeway and starting forest fires along the road. People will remain nameless. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> Another... Um thing with survival of the camera is, is, is in particular in somewhere like Australia where you have dry, any, anywhere where it's dry and dusty, you don't want to wipe anything with a cloth. You, you want to use a blower. Ooh. So you can get these little hand blowers. I'm sure we've all seen them, you know, little, little um, hand blowers with a, a whisk on it that you, you can blow the camera off with. That's the way to do it rather than um, wiping anything. Big mistake yeah. to do that. But Okay, so um, and any other tips with that, traveling with electronic gear? I mean, I, I feel like we didn't have an awful lot in here because, it, well, I, I think the one thing that I take away from this, from what everyone said, is that it's the same thought process that I had coming into this, is that you don't need to go and buy the latest, greatest case or whatever. It's all about being careful with something. It's all about thinking about it and being careful with the moisture, sand, grit, anything like that, being careful with that sort of stuff. But that's probably more important than having the latest, greatest. The the other thing I'll throw in there about the Pelican case, I forgot I wanted to mention about the Pelican case. I used to use them. I've I've used to use them on on, uh, for kayaking, canoeing, and I've even had them on the bike. The one thing with the Pelican case, although they're, they're sort of bulletproof in a way, the problem with it is when you open it, you expose your entire kit to whatever environment you're in. So rather than having the bag like Michelle has on the back where you reach into the bag and you pull out your camera and you go ahead and use it, with the Pelican case, you've got to open the whole thing up and expose all your extra lenses and everything to, to whatever you're dealing with, moisture, sand, whatever. So that's something to think about. Yep. Then it gets in there and then it rubs and rubs and rubs. Yep. Yeah, I just want to make a comment on charging. I think there's been a couple of comments about making sure you've got a USB charging system on your bike so that you can charge everything. But when you get into the hotel at night, you're not connected to your bike and you might have a poor charging system like the old R80s like uh, Sam and I have. And um, they're really kind of on the edge. So I've just got a, a multi-port USB charger. You can Google that on Amazon. Uh, it's got a removable cord. So you can use whatever is your local plug for wherever you are. It runs about 30 bucks and it'll charge five or six devices on a fast charge rate. And it, at, at 30 bucks, how can you go wrong? Plug it into the wall, charge everything, away you go. Mm-hmm. And it's the size of a pack of cigarettes. It keeps it really simple rather than carrying yeah. charges. I know, I saw one guy, he had a bag that you could get like 10 oranges in and it was just full of chargers with their cables. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> And I've got a cable now because I have I have to deal with Android and uh, iPhone. I've got a cable that's got three um, connectors on the end of it. It'll do the um, the mini USB. It'll do USB C, and it'll do um, the iPhone Lightning connector. Does all three of them on one cable. Yeah. Keeps it yeah, simple. Same green. I've, I've got. I, I started off with a, a fairly big bag of um, different sort of connectors to charge up in the hotel rooms, and um, I'm down to something a little bit bigger than the, uh, say, double the size of an iPhone, um, mm-hmm. which carries all the charges I need to do the center, um, the um, the phone, and um, you know, the computer if I if I'm doing that. So uh, that's all you need. You don't need much. Yeah, keep it simple. It's it's all those bricks are just ridiculous. You just don't need them. There's much better ways to do it. It's it, when people are hunting for new gear, then it's obviously worth looking for things that will charge with USB. And it surprises me. I was looking for a new camera um, 
last week. And I was surprised by how many cameras still are for sale, new cameras, but don't have USB charging opportunities. Mm. I had a couple things I wanted to mention, Jim, just while I'm thinking of it. I had a laptop uh, with me through the Americas trip, and I actually took it into a shop in Buenos Aires to have uh, the cooling fan on the laptop changed out because it was actually getting impacted too much by dust. So you can oftentimes in other countries find um, shops if you can find a trustworthy one that you want to take your equipment in, they can do cleaning sometime along the road. Um, again, kind of just do some preventative maintenance and some some care for them to help them last a little bit longer. And the other thing that I wanted to mention was uh, storage and data backups. Uh, because obviously we're carrying a lot of cameras, our laptops, a lot of things. Um, and so we're either, you know, writing journals or taking photos, video, lots of things. And I spent a little bit extra money for some higher class SD cards that were a little bit more weatherproof. You can actually buy some that um, are a little more durable or a higher class. So I splurged on those and then I saved all of my original SD cards, but also copied them onto an external drive. So I had duplicate backups. I know a lot of people when they're traveling or just in life are, are really moving towards cloud storage. But in places around the world, you won't always find the Wi-Fi access that you need to upload things to cloud storage. So just being conscious of how you're treating and caring for um, your storage device while you're traveling is a good idea. How do you protect those SD cards? How do you protect protect that external drive? Um, again, I put mine in a dry bag and tried to keep them someplace out of the sun and dust, keep them protected because they were really my lifeline to keeping those files safe. Yeah, I've had uh, stories about guys and this. I remember one a number of years ago, he was taking his pictures and he saved it on his camera and he was uploading it to some website, which is now gone, you know, the, a file storage place. When he got and he was uploading a few pictures in really low resolution, like 300 by 200 to his website. And when he got home, his camera had died, the backup storage had died and the website was gone. So all he had was maybe 100 pictures from his entire trip for all of South America. Uh, yeah, backup, backup, backup. And, and I've always been of the belief that until you've got it in the cloud, on an SD card, on a remote hard drive, and at a friend's back home, you're not backed up. Yeah. Right. Just think yeah, they, about losing it all. They Just say think three different methods, three different mm -hmm. types of backups. Um, yep. Absolutely. I mean, if you do, if you're uploading it to the cloud, and and I completely agree with you, Michelle, that it's not always possible, but as much as possible, upload it to the cloud and have somebody at home then download that to their own computer. Why not? That's, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. For anybody who's who's sitting listening to this and thinking, "Cool, that sounds like an awful lot of hassle." Um, think back to the times where, when you were traveling, you were taking your photographs on film. And you might be heading into a hot country where you wanted 100 ASA. And the only film that you could get um, was 400 ASA, which is for dimmer light. So all of your photos and these bright sunshine were going to be grainy. And when you bought that roll of film, you had no idea how it had been stored, what temperature, whether it had been in the sunlight and all of that sort of stuff. So it was a real lucky dip. And then you had to go and hunt out somebody re responsible, reliable to develop your films before you rattled them to scr and scratched them to blazes by carrying them too long in your panniers. Um, yep. All of that, that's hassle. 
That's where um, you should yeah, have pushed your film, Sam. Gamble. Sam, you should have used the film you had and pushed it. Yeah, <laughs> it was all he couldn't get anymore. <laughs> I, I had that problem in North Africa. I, I had a shot a bunch of film in Tunisia and Libya. Got to Egypt and went into Fuji headquarters for Egypt and said, "Can you develop my slide film for me?" Sure. They went ahead and they developed it, and I went in to pick it up, and they were still putting it into the little plastic mounts. And there, here's these four or five guys sitting around a table. This is in Cairo. And Sam will tell you, everything is covered with dust in Cairo. And they were, there was one guy who was cutting up the film, dropping it on the table. Somebody else would put his finger on it, slide it across this, a guy across the way who would put it in a plastic mount. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the scratches? <laughs> it takes hours and hours to fix those slides. So I got the complaints about hassles. I agree with Sam 100%. We got it easy. Yeah, I remember, I remember the days you had, remember the days you had to use a lead line bag mm-hmm. when oh, you were yeah. traveling. The- <laughs> hey, I almost got arrested at the airport once. <laughs> Somebody wanted to put my, my high speed film, 1000 ASA film through the x-ray machine and I was arguing with them, and then they just grabbed it and tossed it onto the conveyor belt, and it disappeared into the machine. I went ballistic, and they had to call the police. And <laughs> yeah, so, no, don't complain. I don't want to hear any complaints about how hard it is today. <laughs> Sam, what I would say about pushing it is where you, you take like a, a 100 ASA film, you shoot it at 400, and then when you take it to be developed, you have them de- develop it at 400. Not all film will is good for this, but you can usually get some sort of results for it. But this is useless information now because nobody's shooting with film, so we don't have yeah. to worry about it anymore. <laughs> you know, I've still got $10,000 worth of film cameras sitting in the back room. Ah, that's great. Yeah. Eh? yeah, you may as well melt those down and make them into what, an anchor? Yeah, something like that. Although they're not very heavy. (laughs) So, just very quickly, let's let's cover this this next one because it's it's more of um, uh, it's a very quick answer. Nev from Melbourne, Australia, has a quick question. They they love reading adventure books. They've read at least one book from each of the raw panelists. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They love physical Very. books on the shelf, um, but with the cost of paperbacks um, becoming more expensive, they want to support the authors. Anyway, the, the question really is here is, um, is it better? Does it, does it benefit the, the authors buying them directly from your website? Or is it just the same as buying them from Amazon or the book depository or eBooks? Do you get the, do you get the same money? So what they're grappling with here is, should they buy it from you directly from your website or does it matter? Can they get it from Amazon or wherever else? Anybody have an answer for this? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Cheryl. I do, if no one else wants to. Um, if if you self-publish, obviously you're going to make more money if people buy the books from you because you're not paying a second party as in a seller or a distributor. As far as e-books are concerned, they are cheaper than a paperback but they're also cheaper to produce. So on a percentage of sale basis, um, the ebook is for the author the same as if, um, you know, if you're producing it yourself as if you if you bought the paperback from them. Um, and look, I guess we make money whether you buy it from Amazon, Book Depository, our website, 
The only thing we don't make money from is when you borrow it from your friends. <laughs> or the library. <laughs> oh, no. no. Actually, Jim, in Australia, oh, yeah, we get public lending right. Oh. And every year we receive um, money in our bank for the copies of our books that are in public libraries in Australia and they work out a rate, how they do it. I have absolutely no idea how many copies there are and how many people have read it and how that relates to how many books you would have sold had those people not borrowed the books that's from the library. That's really neat. So that's wow. really cool. It's yeah. something yeah, that the authors in Australia fought for for many years and it um, – for some writers, it uh, it's what keeps right. body and soul together. Well, and if you're starving, so, if you're a starving writer, you just go around to a bunch of libraries and borrow your own book. It's obviously missed something in the translation uh, as to what I was. <laughs> I just saw an opportunity. There. That's all I was thinking. Of. Yeah, <laughs> a larcenous heart there. We yes. sell books at, at a, and whenever we sell books at events, we do tell people that we do not encourage lending of our books. <laughs> right. yeah. You can tease them with it, but tell them to get their own copy. Right. Yep. Well, same thing I, exactly. Yeah. Same thing with our videos. People have told me, oh, I've been lending it to all my friends. Thanks. A lot. <laughs> I'm really excited by that. Now, I will say as a small business owner, I always try to to support local businesses, craftsmen, artisans, writers, anything other than big companies if I can, because I feel like I'm getting more of the money directly to the person doing the work and cutting out a little bit of the overhead for the middlemen that, you know, funnel it that way. But I also realize that sometimes, you know, the way to get your book or your writing out on a global platform is more easily done through something like that. So I'm, I'm not opposed to that. I certainly have my um, books on both platforms. Um, but I will say as an author, my favorite thing is to be able to have a conversation with a fellow writer at a meetup or an event and be able to hear some of their stories because obviously they're going to see or read mine. So it's fun to meet them and, and actually hear some of their stories too. So that's my first choice. Um, but to put some numbers to it, for example, on a $20 book, um, if it goes through something like Amazon, I might be getting like $1.80 uh, on, the, on the back end. So it's horrible. It's horrible when you think, I, and I don't think that really some, you know, readers realize that you make that little on a book. It depends on whether it's, you know, sent around the globe, whether it's an ebook or a paperback copy. I mean, there's a lot of variables to it. But the difference when I actually sell a book and I'm handing it to someone in person or even shipping it to them, I make closer to $15 or $16 a book on a $20 book. So the difference by buying direct can be enormous. So something to be aware of. That's incredible. Yeah. Through the shops, the, the, the average um, author, be they Michelle or me and Brian or Sam or John Grisham or Michael Connolly, 10% of the recommended retail price is the standard author yeah. Yeah. Um, percentage of the sale price. Wow. So, it's a bit of a shock, isn't it? I mean, there's a there's a whole history to this stuff. And um, I've got an A4 page of notes here, which I'm not going to read out, Jim. You'll be really, really happy to Thanks, say. Sam. To, to know. <laughs> um, other than direct from me sales, the fastest and cheapest option for readers is to go the Amazon route and be that paperback or ebook. 
Uh, many people aren't fans of Amazon, but the reality is that, that for the likes of solo authors, we wouldn't survive without it. Um, Michelle mentions the global reach. Plus, of course, Amazon gives the option for book reviews, and we all pay attention to what reviewers say when we aim to buy something. I'm very grateful to every listener who's taken a moment out to pop up a review or even a, a star rating. So thank you very much. Um, in the end, as long as I'm selling enough books to keep bread on the table and fuel in the tank of my bike, the most important thing to me is sharing and encouraging others to travel or at least to see the world. And I'm very grateful to every book purchaser. Um, and if you do lend a copy of, of a book that you've bought from one of us, please ask your mate to buy the next one rather than borrow them all from you and to at least take the time out to put a re review up on Amazon. Um, it's still the case that if you regularly review th um, things that you buy from Amazon, you don't need to have bought one of our books from Amazon. You could have bought it from us or the book depository and you can still um, have a go at putting up a review. And it's those sorts of things that are absolutely vital to us just as much as the money that we're actually earning from the purchase that you make. So, um, yeah, thank you very much to everybody who takes the time out to review. Can't tell you how grateful we are. Yep. Here, here, perfectly said. Here, here, absolutely, 100%. Reviews. Get out there and review the books. That's a, that's a really good and point. The oh, as and the DVDs. As long as you like them. No, yeah, no, don't yeah, make don't it like complicated, it, just surely. Just give a five-star review. You don't care if you liked it or not. Just don't put your whining on the internet. There's enough whining on the internet. Just give it a five-star review and be done with it. You're not going to hurt can yourself just, with that. Can I just say a, a thank you to Nev for asking this question? Because um, it, they are extremely, extremely relevant and um, we all value your support. So thank you for um, buying books from us. And of course, the point is that you've obviously got a passion for travel and we all love that. Yes. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some great reasons to go on an extended trip. But first, our break. This episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. Freshtracks has been around since the 90s. And uh, what they do is they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team building exercises. They work with companies like Yahoo, Comic Relief, uh, Mars, Pfizer. Everybody knows Pfizer by now, don't they? We've been through the pandemic. Have a look at freshtracks.co.uk and of course, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw. So thank you, Fresh Tracks. Always great to have your support for us here on Raw. Now we're going to look at um, our last thing we're going to talk about. Five great reasons to ride a motorcycle on an extended trip. Now, let me just say that when I sat down to come up with, I came up with my own little list for this, I realized that everything I, I wrote down about this associated with riding was also associated with life. You know, like few activities, and it really made me think about this, few activities can be so engaging, both physically and mentally, yet at the same time, so cerebral in how we draw conclusions, ideas, or, or, or process our thoughts while we're riding. Like for me, it's, it's a journey in the mind and body that is motorcycling. So I, I guess in that, the, the motorcycle is truly a vehicle of discovery for my mind. Anyway, for me. So I, what I want to do is I, I, I wanted to, I'm going to jump in here and I'm, I'm going to sort of jump ahead, jump the queue, I guess I could say. And I'm going to give mine first. The only reason I'm going to give mine first before I, before I get you guys is because I, I don't want to make it like I copied from anybody. I want to look very original here. 
<laughs> so, so, so five great reasons to ride a motorcycle on an extended trip. One, I mean, and I'm thinking uh, it doesn't have to be a super extended trip. It could be, it could be a week or, or whatever. Um, my first one that I came up with that popped my mind was regroup, you know, life, family, and friends are, are what is important, what matters. And, um, in life we get so caught up. It's like, you can't see the forest for the trees almost, you know, it's almost like if you have a confrontation with somebody, you get in that argument and you get so heated in the argument. And then afterwards you sort of debrief yourself and you have a different perspective and you might think, Oh yeah, I, I really shouldn't have said that. Or, or I get their point or whatever the case is. And I, and I think that's sort of something that, that I feel when I go on, on any sort of ride, particularly, you know, more than a couple of days is that that regroup feeling it gives me time to put things in perspective. The next one was uh, expand your comfort zone. Of course, I think that anytime that we feel uncomfortable with something, I don't mean when, you know, you're, you've met a person that's maybe making you feel uncomfortable, but you go and you do something that makes you uncomfortable. You're outside of your comfort zone. That's the only time you grow it. And I think that's something that is, is easy to do in many ways on a motorcycle trip. I called this, this next one self-enjoyment, which is slow down and, and, and take in other people's lives. You know, you've sort of disconnected from your own a little bit to some degree. So you can take in other people's lives, other places and, uh, and sort of what makes the world turn, I guess you could say. And also the ride itself, enjoying the ride, gyroscopic feelings, inertia, G-force movements. I mean, there's, I mean, it's why we love motorcycling, isn't it? Or at least one of the reasons that we love motorcycling is that, that physical connection that we get with it. The other one I said, explore, maybe explore slash learn, see new places or new cultures. Anytime you're doing that, discovering and learning is always enlightening, I guess you could say. And the last one I have here is build skills. That's riding on the street, dirt, camping, logistics, figuring out how to store your electronics. All that stuff is, is building skills that helps you in the future. And it's just interesting to learn problem solving, you know, on trips. And anyway, so I wanted to get through mine rather quickly there. Sam, what do you have? Five great reasons to ride on a motorcycle, extended motorcycle trip. Chip, are you and, you and I from the same gene pool? <laughs> uh, no, no. actually, every single one of yours is different to mine, and I'm totally impressed. I've been scribbling oh. down so that I can um, rearrange my thinking about riding motorcycles because you hit some really good nails on the head there. That oh, was very cool. Um, these are not in particular in any order of priority. Um, ability to take advantage of opportunities, side turning, someone you meet, offers. Because you don't have a bus or a train ticket, and you've, um, visa time is, ne- is, is less of a worry because you've got more flexibility and you've got the un- you haven't got the uncertainty that you get from hitchhiking. So opportunities, you see them, they happen to you, you can take advantage of them. Um, the opportunity to wild camp, and I love that. To me, this is one of the most important things about overlanding on a motorcycle. It's waking up in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around, just the magic of a dawn world and nature. To me, that's one of the most wonderful things that being on a motorcycle trip allows. Um, on a, um, a financial basis, it's much cheaper shipping costs um, than it is um, shipping with um, a car or something like that. I've taken mine on the deck of a cargo ship, on a cruise liner, I've, I've flown a short hop, et cetera, et cetera. So there are all sorts of different things that you get involved with because you've got the, the different shipping options and they're cheaper. Um, one of the most important things for me is the ability to stop. I talk about this quite a lot, but with a motorcycle, for example, 
there was um, an op- uh, a situation in Greece right at the very beginning of the eight-year trip. And I came around a corner and there all of a sudden was this view of the coast and the sea, but there was no difference in the colour of the water and the colour of the sky. And I'd never seen anything like this before. If I'd been in a car, I wouldn't have been able to stop. If I'd been in a bus, I wouldn't have been able to stop. If I was in a bicycle, I would have been too busy puffing and trying to get up the the next stage of the hill. With a motorcycle, I could tuck myself to one side and sit and just think, wow, this is quite incredible. There's just the the dot and white sails of a, a tiny little white sails of a yacht out there is a really disconcerting, quite wonderful thing to see. And that's just an example of the wonder that having a motorcycle and being able to stop um, actually makes so special. Don't laugh at this one. In fact, everybody's going to, probably. Not having to carry a blooming suitcase or a backpack. It's so nice not to have to do that. And I loved the idea of not having to lug around the weight of a backpack and how vulnerable carrying one can make you um, uh, to to whatever environment you're in. With a backpack, scoundrels see you as a target. On a motorcycle, far less so. And I mean, I laughed at myself when I was thinking about this because I thought I'd be able to carry more things for me on the motorcycle. But I actually never did because I was carrying um, so many blooming spare parts because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't have much room for, for stuff for me. But the ability to carry things temporarily like um, the Malawi wooden carved chairs that I had strapped to the back of the bike and the carpet from Iran that I had strapped to the back of the bike and things like that. I had the flexibility to do this. And I also think that you're in much more control of your day than when you're a backpacker. For example, you don't have to get to a bus on time and then find that they're not running. We can always choose to travel in daylight, except for when things go pear-shaped. We can't guarantee that with a rucksack. You go when the transport goes, and having to hang around dodgy bus stations in the middle of the night as an obvious foreigner isn't fun. It's interesting, but it's not fun. And of course, well, there's that old thing about the friends that you make just purely and simply because you've got an ice-breaking subject that you can make conversation about. And this is a story that I've told before, so do delete it, but it's one that stands very strongly in my memory. Um, In the mountains in Ethiopia, crowd of people, and there was this one young lad, and he was probably about nine years old, big beaming smile on his face, and he gave me a thumbs up and then disappeared. Moments later, he came back with the centrefold from a magazine and on it was a bright red Ducati. Now, where did he get this photo from, But this magazine pages? But his excitement was just pure joy. It was almost as if he was showing this to me and wouldn't have a word of language in common, but it was his way of saying, I'm a motorcyclist too. And those little tingle moments are so special with the, the, the people that you meet as a result of riding a motorcycle. Very nice. Although I think I got lost in the numbers there. There was five and then we seemed to go on. Yeah, well, you know me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's okay. I've got 14 on my list. You got four. Oh, good <laughs> <match>. Okay, well. <laughs> Grant, you and I both need gag orders. Michelle, <laughs> how about you? How many do you have on your list? Uh, Why? Well, I was very specific. I just did the five. Oh, great Good. job. <laughs> well done. I mean, isn't that what Thank we said? You. Five? Okay, go ahead, Michelle. You're, what do you You're got? not going to have Jim what? itching to go in with the, <laughs> the mute button. The other, the other guys get extra credit, and I'm not getting any extra credit. But oh, no, no, no. It's not like that, Michelle, on this. It's not like that. <laughs> okay. They actually get demerit points for that. 
Oh, <laughs> hey. I last. I'm well, yeah, I ended up with nothing left to say. <laughs> so well, I think for me, um, one of the most um, it, the most enticing things about motorcycle travel for me is that it's a very sensory experience. All the details of a place that you miss by any other means of travel, you get to soak up and enjoy from a, a motorcycle. So obviously, feeling the air temperature, the humidity, you can smell a rainstorm coming, you can smell whatever is in bloom. Um, I remember riding along the Pacific Coast Highway in the U.S. and smelling strawberries in bloom. Um, And it was just this incredible, for, you know, 20 minutes, I was riding through this cloud of strawberry scented, just, it it was beautiful. Um, So every sight, every sound, every feeling the motion of the ride itself, it's just such a sensory experience that you don't get um, any other way of traveling. So that's that's one that I really enjoy. I like soaking in every aspect of the physicality of it. Another thing that I really enjoy is that it's challenging. Um, and I, I like to challenge myself, I suppose, as a writer, um, you know, just, just in life, I like to kind of test my skills and make sure that I'm able to stay alert, that I can use my head. I want to keep myself safe, um, maintain my bike and use my head for making decisions about, you know, what I'm, what I'm facing as far as challenges and obstacles on the road. So I like that sort of a challenge. And I think motorcycling gives me something more of a challenge than traveling by another means, like, you know, flying somewhere on a trip or traveling in a car would. I think um, one of the other things that I really enjoy is, especially on the long two-year trip that I took, I felt a sense of freedom in a way that I was never afforded by any other means of travel. Um, I chose specifically, and this probably says a lot, but I took a KLR. I took an old laptop, a mediocre DSLR camera. Um, and, and really just a bunch of gear that I could have easily walked away from. And I know that sounds really strange, but I just felt like if for some reason I didn't like the trip, if any of it got stolen, if I was in an accident, if I needed to abandon things or park things for a while and fly home because of a family emergency, I wasn't tied to financially or worried about any of that equipment or gear. And I really felt even though that wasn't part of the decision-making process when I did that, I, the bonus was that I really felt this sense of freedom. I was completely unburdened. I wasn't worried. I wasn't stressed. It really was this really freeing experience to take the trip so that any of it was just kind of the tools that I used to take the journey, but none of it was required and none of it really was, you know, anything that I was worried about. Um, One of the other things, of course, I know we've talked about before many times is that you have total control of your schedule, your destinations, your route, your pace. So if I want to stay an extra day somewhere, I can. If I want to go further down the road and wild camp someplace, I get to choose the route that I go. Um, And I, I... I get to create that journey as as it evolves. If I'm meeting other travelers who recommend a destination, then I can add that to my itinerary. And if I'm traveling by bus or something like that, I can't. Um, so schedule is one thing. I have total control over that. But then another aspect is the physicality, the, the, the route that I'm planning. So those are two separate things. And I think that's my five. What do you, what do you mean the physicality? Uh, just where I'm going. So, um, 
I have total control of my schedule. Oh, I see. So you're saying control of your schedule. And then the last thing would be the control of where Where you're you're visiting. Right, 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 right. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that's great. That that, that all makes perfect sense. I see some similarities in here. You know, you know already of, of what we're talking about, which is pretty cool. Uh, not, not that anybody cheated. I'm not giving you that, but uh, <laughs> um, Shirley and Brian, do you guys have five each, of, or has, have you worked as a team? I mean, I, basically, what I'm asking is, Shirley, did Brian write anything down, or did you do all the work? Um, no, I jotted a few things down, and he's jotted a few things down. And we haven't shown each other. No, oh. played secrets. Um, uh, many of, um, well, not many. Yeah, most of mine have been already taken. Um, with yeah, it's obviously cheaper. A motorcycle is certainly one of the biggest icebreakers when you roll into a even a petrol station or a, a hostel or just a shop. People want to talk to you about where you've been, where you're from, who you are. It's certainly a simple lifestyle, which is great. The the minimalist aspect of it stretches me to the limit for the first little while, and then I get into the swing of it. But the minimalist lifestyle is probably good for us all to try and tackle. Shut up, Brian. Um, and the freedom of the road, you know, that um, Sam and Michelle have canvassed so well. Um, but I, the the my last one is one, and I want you to be ready to 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 sigh with um, joy here, rapture. Being able to travel at such close proximity with the one you love. Oh, yeah. nice. 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 Oh, thank wow. you. I was that's waiting really for good. the bigger sort of. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah. Oh, no, I get well, that. Well, that's what it is. Um, yep. I mean, for, for us, it's um, when we did our first trip back in 2003, we actually had people say, oh, this is going to break your marriage. So thank you for the confidence, folks. Um, But in actual fact, when we're on the road, we probably get on better and work better as a team than we do when we're at home. It's, It's a great thing. That's yeah, it. I'm that's done. good. That's good. That's that's like I like the icebreaker one. I totally forgot about that as well. That that's true. That's a, that's a big deal. Brian, what do you have? Well, uh, all of the above. Um, I I put down uh, my motorcycle was a part of me, and then I, I wanted to experience and travel the world with just my motorcycle and my wife. And to me, that's a big big thing. Um, the ease of uh, getting through the traffic, you know, when you get into a big city and uh, you can sort of manoeuvre yourself around the traffic pretty easily, that's a, that's a, a big plus and relieves a f- lot of frustrations in my book anyway. Um, and when you and it's been mentioned before, when you're parking up uh, your bike for the night or wherever, you can put it. Ours has lived in restaurants, it's lived in motel rooms and libraries and all sorts of places. So if security is a problem, and you know we, we, we've known people who have been travelling in a car that, that had it broken into, or tried to get uh, people tried to get into it. Um, I was talking to a mate who um, had uh, soldiers um, knock on the door of their combi van and want to sit in the front because it was freezing cold and all that sort of stuff. So you know, um, I, I, I think uh, ease of parking up is pretty good. And Sam mentioned it, and as others have before. Uh, it's cheaper ferrying or flying your bike from continent to continent, which you have to do from time to time. Um, and it's been mentioned before about um, there's more opportunities to meet people and experience things. And as a motorcyclist, that's and 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 Michelle mentioned it. It's all about the the visceral nature of travelling on a motorbike. You feel everything. You sense everything. 
And um, I did put this one down, and I'm not sure about this. You you don't tend to carry uh, superfluous stuff, but Cheryl sort of worked around that pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Look, you know, and I really appreciate what she says because she's right. You know, it is great just to travel and just be you and your mate um, as one, and you solve problems together, and you have to. And that's that's a great feeling. Nice recovery, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) So, Grant, have you went through crossing through your your fifteen to get it down to five as you went? Uh, Susan had a couple which I will use, and Mm -hmm. then I can have a few of my own. That sounds Um, good. Yeah, one of the ones that Susan came up with was, and and some people may not expect this from her, but. Twisty roads are so much more fun on a bike. Ooh. Wow. Everybody's missed that one. Yeah. Of course it is. Just everything about it, it just feels so much better. And and Susan isn't a motorcyclist per se, although I guess in a lot of ways she really is. But uh, that was really important to her. That's one of the first ones she came out with. Um, Another one was you're more vulnerable, so you meet more people. Um, we're both, we were both reminded, we we're talking about an event we had in, uh, oh, I think it was Malawi. We'd pulled up to this little roadside stand and, and you know, the, the kids lemonade stand that you used to see little shelf and a few things for sale on top, soft drinks are for sale. And that was it. That was like the kids lemonade stand. So mm-hmm. we pulled up to this thing, you know, well, it's probably warm and it's not going to taste good, but Hey, it's wet and we'll get, we'll talk to this guy. Just, just generally chat, you know, relax. And so we started talking to him. We had a warm Coke, which is pretty awful, but hey, it was wet. And he was really interested in what we were doing. And then all of a sudden, people started arriving. We had about 10 people standing around us looking at the bike. And where are you going? What are you doing? Very little English. They had a few words, but that was it. Um, and they were really interested in us. And then this four by four drove up coming from the opposite direction. And they parked on the other side of the road. And as they drove up, everybody turned around, looked at them, turned back to us and kept talking to us, completely ignored the folks in the four by four. They were not of interest. They were not in their vocabulary of people that they could talk to. And yet here's us who had probably as much money as the folks in the four by four, but we're there on a motorcycle and we were there for somebody that they could talk to. And it was interesting and it was, it was different too. Yeah. So, and by being vulnerable, we exposed ourselves and said, "Hey, we're okay to talk to you," and that was a really, really an opening experience for us. It was really wonderful. So that was very special. Um, and to go with that, motorcyclists are all automatically friends, as Doug Watke said about traveling through Russia. One group of riders will tell another, and they'll be waiting for you at the next town. The hospitality will kill you. Yeah, we. We connect with the other motorcyclists. We connect with other people as well. But with other motorcyclists, we're automatically friends. What do you need? Anything I can do to help? Mm-hmm. You know, we see that on our Facebook page all the time. Uh, somebody says, I'm going somewhere. And there would be responses from just recently. There was some guy said he was going to the Philippines. Oh, drop in. Let us know when you're here. We'll show you the town and dinner's on me and all kinds of stuff. And it was really great. Yeah, Automatic connection. We love to see that. That's the the community of motorcycle travelers, uh, motorcyclists just generally. Um, And a couple others that haven't been covered by the others, I think. um, 
everybody took so many things that I had. I had to cross that. <laughs> cross that. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was important was you get to focus on the present. This is quite similar to what Michelle was talking about. What she, I think of it as you get out of the world and its woes and all the bad news and all the rest of it, and you're into the moment the smells, the sensations of cold and hot. I love when you pass over a creek on the side of the road. You feel that cold blast for a moment, especially when it's hot. Um, the feel of the bumps in the road, the feel of the bike, your sore butt, whatever. But it's it's here, it's now, and it's all that matters. Mm-hmm. The rest, or, or, or how often have you smelled the, the diesel of a truck before you come up on it? Yeah, mm-hmm. or the, the trucks mm-hmm. carrying the cows that are not feeling very well. <laughs> <Yeah. hot. laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that it, it's uh, it takes you out of yourself and everything else you're thinking about, and you focus on the moment, mm-hmm. and that's really important. That's mindfulness. It's really good. Um, another one is you'll see all kinds of new stuff, people, places, things that you don't normally experience. It may be just down the road, but it's not your everyday trip. It's not your everyday thing that you do going to the grocery store. So your brain has to work to decipher all that input. And here's something for you to look up. It's good for your neuroplasticity and staves off Alzheimer's. But you didn't know that one. Well, I knew that one. I'm just going to jump in here. I knew that one, but I didn't know it was prescribed for, I didn't know motorcycling was prescribed for, for staving off Alzheimer's. That's great. It's good. Absolutely. Yeah, that's an excellent thing to know. Especially off-road riding, especially. Is that right? <laughs> which is my reason, which I keep telling Susan, that's why I do all this off-road riding. It's Staves off the Alzheimer's. I can, right, just, I can just imagine people going to the doctor looking for a prescription or, or, or maybe looking for, for some sort of extended medical leave and they want to go ride. Yeah. They, I have to go ride dirt. I need it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's good for you. Um, another one that's good for you is you burn more calories than you do in a car. You're engaging a number of muscles, you know, core and neck and shoulders and all kinds of stuff. And that takes energy. So you burn calories. And when you exercise of any kind, your body releases endorphins and encephalins and your, your natural feel-good hormones. And there you go. That's part of why riding feels so good. And, of course, just being outside, ideally with lots of green around, apparently green is really, really good for us. Uh, it's good for us generally and both physically and mentally. Being outside is a great stress reliever. So, overall, your body is happy, your brain is happy, and you're saving off Alzheimer's. What more could you ask for? Mm-hmm. I like the outside thing. That, that, that's good. Nobody said that yet. Burning calories thing, I don't know. That To me, that sounds more like, a, that or sounds a lot like cutting off the, the handle of your toothbrush to save weight. <laughs> hey, it's a reason. that I don't care if it's five calories. It will do. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Statistic, statistically speaking, that, uh, that may make sense. There's some great but, stuff in here. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, come for a ride with me. We'll, we'll make you work a little bit. You'll burn some <laughs> calories. I guarantee it. You mean me? Oh, okay. I'm, yes, I'm going to do that. Yes, I want to do that. I would like to come and help you explore those roads. If we weren't so yes. far apart right now, um, I, I would be there. But um, it's going to take me a week to get to where you are. I know. Well, five days anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like, I desperately want to go to the Newfoundland event, but that's about eight days from here. Yeah, that's closer for me. I, I could far. go to that for you. You could. Yeah, yes. Why yeah. don't you do that? Oh, we'll have to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I like, there's, there's some stuff in here that I highlighted, like the wild camping. That's great. Uh, cheaper shipping. I hadn't thought about that. That's of course. Yeah. The challenge, you know, that, that, that's important. 
um, icebreaker. That's another thing, you know, um, I'm just really sort of quickly looking at it. the twisty roads. <laughs> yeah. That's something that I didn't, I don't know how I missed that one. Um, and motorcyclists are all friends. I mean, that's really neat, you know? So there's some, there's some really interesting stuff in here. Well, I think we've arrived at the time where we uh, will do some plugs and then, um, we'll, uh, go have dinner, I guess. Yeah. We used to have the after show parties. Remember when we used to have those? Do you guys remember that? Yeah. You know, we haven't done that for so long. With we, the dice. Yeah, we really got to do that again. But but anyway, for plugs, Shirley and Brian, I think I'm going to take you guys first. What do you have for plugs? I'll, I'll go first. Um, there's, a, there's a great world traveler um, who's just passed away, Ron Fellows. Um, some of you might remember, but Ron rode a 1910 FN Fabric National Belgian motorcycle from Kathmandu back to Belgium for its uh, centenary anniversary after he unbolted the wicker sidecar off it. And um, um, Ron passed away um, after a, a stroke not that long ago, and his lovely wife, Lynn, let us know. They wrote a, a lovely book called No Room for Watermelons as he rode his old motorcycle across the world. I met Ron at, a, um, at an event um, so some time ago now, where he produced this little box out of his pocket and said, have a look at this, Brian, what do you think this is? And it was a handmade spark plug. He produced everything to ride that motorcycle across the world. Wow. So Vale, mate, uh, poor old Ron, oh, well, a lucky man, Ron Fellows. He actually rode a gold wing around the Americas, north and south and everywhere else with his wife on the back. But uh, just a lovely, lovely man. So for anyone out there who hasn't got, um, his book, No Room for Watermelons, look it up. It's uh, it's a great read, a lot of fun, and a great memory of a wonderful, wonderful man. And um, I've got one other little plug. Um, in that motorcycle community engagement panel thing that I'm on in our little state of Victoria, one thing that really pays me is the road hazards, and uh, we've finally got them to produce a 24-hour service where people can report road hazards, um, potholes and things like that. That used to be a nine to five Monday to Friday. It's now a one three double one seven oh zero number. And for anyone in Australia, give them hell because the roads are crap. Cheryl, over to you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Um, that was good. <laughs> that editorial was written and authorised by <laughs> <laughs> uh, Now, um, as Brian foreshadowed, uh, I'd like to give a plug to our, our buddy Graham Field. Um, I know a lot of people are very concerned about the situation in Ukraine and um, down here in Australia, Brian and I spent a lot of time watching CNN and um, our hearts break for the, the people of Ukraine and what they're going through. Graham has put on his Facebook page a link to a free download of his chapter from The Grass is Greener about his ride through Ukraine. And at the back of it, there is a link to a, a humanitarian group that is raising funds to help the Ukrainian people. If you enjoy the download, even the price of a cup of coffee would help the people in Ukraine at the moment. So, um, well done, Graham, and more power to you and uh, more power to the people of Ukraine. Okay, thank you, Shirley. Michelle, what do you have? Um, well, I just had a reminder, wanted to mention that Rev Sisters, um, which I'm 
a partner of with two other motorcycling women here in the U.S., um, are doing an online motorcycle film festival again this year. It starts the last weekend in October. You can get information and details on tickets or submitting films at RevSisters.com. Tickets are already available. And I think we've got something like 10 hours of films already lined up. Um, But we're only doing one event this year. In the past couple of years, we've done three events each year. But as, you know, life has returned to normal, we feel like, you know, there's there's more of a need to be engaged and in person. And so we're hoping to kind of transition towards some in-person events uh, in 2023. So we're pulling back some of our efforts this year and we're doing one online event. And I think we're going to continue that uh, into perpetuity, we hope. Um, but anyway, so information on Rev Sisters Motorcycle Film Festival at RevSisters.com. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Grant, how about you? What have you got? Well, we've got travelers meetings. We're looking at 12 this year. Already done California. We've got Virginia, the Hum Cascades, Can West here in British Columbia, uh, Newfoundland, of course, we already mentioned that, Germany, Switzerland, Romania, France, Germany again, and Sweden and South Africa, of course, always one of the favorite events of the year. But there's lots happening. I think uh, just go to the horizonsunlimited.com slash events page and see what's close to you to reconnect with your automatic friends. New fr- make new friends, see old ones. It's, uh, there's lots going on, and I think you'll find it very worthwhile to go. Okay. Thanks, Grant. And it is so nice to hear you list a bunch of dates for that. I tell you, it oh. just feels so good to hear that. It really does. You have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, what have you got? Well, first of all, I've got a big smile for exactly the same reason. I was sitting here and I was thinking, you know, it was only a couple of months back that Grant was saying, well, you know, we we might have two events yeah. this year. And he's just, just, just listening to that. Absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my plug, I'm led into very nicely by both Nev and with his question about books and so on and Shirley, but also with messages that I've been having on Facebook. I'm going to plug my audio books. I've had several messages recently asking if I've ever thought about turning my books into audiobooks, <laughs> which means that my marketing attempts must be really, really bad. So here's a little bit um, about them. The four books, Into Africa, Under Asian Skies, Distant Suns and Tortius Totems are all available for download from both iTunes and Audible. Um, For listeners who haven't come across my books yet, each one takes you riding and exploring a different section of the eight-year journey around the world. Um, Now, this is an us story, the last two. um, That's Birgit and I. She actually um, appears first in Under Asian Skies, second book, as our our paths crossed in Nelson, New Zealand. And then we start riding together in my third book, Distant Suns. And she was on her own bike a 1971 road bike, and she's only five foot, and she chose that because it had similar engineering to my BMW R80 GS, but also because she could get her feet on the ground to just. And in this book, um, we rode for a year um, down from Kenya to Cape Town, and she, by the way, had only 600 miles experience on a motorcycle as we'd rolled out of the port in um, Kenya. And then um, the second half of the book takes you across to um, South America and Central America. And the fourth book in the series, um, Tortius the Totems, takes up the story from Central America up into Mexico, the USA, and Canada, um, North America, three very different neighbors, all uniquely fascinating to explore. And the first book, of course, well, that's um, Into Africa. And that was my first attempt at an audio book. 
So, yeah, um, the audiobooks, all available for download from iTunes and from Audible. And I hope you enjoy them. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Well, that was great, everyone. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it immensely, as always. And um, until next month. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Get up and ride. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for traveling overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. 